Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, the podcast that explores topics related to international trade. This podcast is brought to you by Buckland. For over 70 years, Buckland has been working to help companies across the world experience global trade in a better way. As a customer-focused company, we provide you with a single source of unmatched customs brokerage, trade-managed solutions, freight forwarding, trade technologies, and warehousing and distribution services. I'm your host, Jenny Kaus, Corporate Marketing Manager at Buckland, and today we are sharing a special initiative that has recently been undertaken at Buckland in response to COVID-19 to assist our team members. Buckland has launched the Only at Buckland Mental Health and Wellness Lecture Series, which is taking place over the course of four weeks and features Jennifer Harkness, who is a psychotherapist and has a counseling and art therapy practice called Courageous Heart Healing out of Seattle. We have found these sessions with Jen to be incredibly insightful and useful, and so we are sharing them with the hope that they are helpful for others as well. The first session is called The Neurobiology of Stress and Daily Coping Skills, and you will now hear the audio from our recent Zoom call that Jen held with our company on this topic. Hi, thank you so much, Shirley, for that that introduction and so much wisdom in in what you just uh, spoke about. These are unprecedented times, that is for sure, and part of my intention today um, in the first of the series is um, to just frame the experience and give some basic coping skills. So um, just a little uh, bit about me. I've been a licensed mental health counselor for um, about 15 years and a registered art therapist. And my specialties are anxiety and trauma. So I'm, I'm really passionate about um, sharing this material because I feel like knowledge is definitely power when we understand our experiences and understand what's going on um, and can acknowledge our needs, then we can resource better and um, just makes life a little bit easier. So I love that Buckland's being so progressive and supporting the mental health end of this. Um, when all of the pandemic started, I certainly in my mind was like, okay, this is also a mental health crisis too. We're all going to be under a lot of stress. So hopefully today, um, you know, we'll be able to understand a little bit more of, of what's going on just in our bodies. Um, we are definitely in this together. Like Shirley said, you know, this is just so unique that every single person on the planet is impacted in one way or another. People are stressed for a lot of different reasons, but everybody is stressed. So it's, it's definitely a health crisis um, uh, all around. Um so I, I discussed, you know, the first of the series, we're going to be going over just like the basics of neurobiology and stress and coping skills, and hopefully each one will build off of the other. So next week, we'll talk um, more about relationships because we're all at home with our families, right, and coping, you know, navigating that together, um, and mental health issues like pre-existing conditions and what to look out for and, um, you know, where to resource for help and, and just skills around, um, you know, more, you know, addictions, anxiety, depression, and, you know, marriages and kids and coworkers and, and all the, the relationships that we're navigating and how to support one another. 
Um, and then the last, the third in the series will be um, about, you know, how to function productivity and how to start creating meaning making out of this. Um, Shirley shared with me, um, you know, that you were all studying the art of um, possibility in this last year. And so I'm going to bring in some of that language as well as build on some, some other um, models to hopefully just help support um like you said, Shirley, like um, we're going to try to come through this together. And my hope and my dream is that we all um, can grow in this and maybe create something even better coming out of it. So we'll see. And then the fourth series, we'll just uh, see what questions come out and, and what um, what the need is for the fourth one. And we'll cater it to, you know, what the needs are for um, the Buckland family. So um I want to start by just framing this experience. Um, right away, uh, I had the realization that we are in a collective trauma. So trauma is a word that's it's used often, and um, I want to give a little bit of a definition. So trauma is when we feel threatened somehow, like emotionally, mentally, physically, and it can be all the way from small to large, right? So a trauma can be like being made fun of in school or, um, you know, uh, getting in trouble or failing a test or something, something like that can be traumatic all the way to like war and assault, right? So it's a big, big spectrum. It can be a one-time event, right? Uh, all the way to a chronic complex uh, event, like being in an abusive relationship or something where your daily life is, is impacted. Um, so it's, it's very broad. And one of the things about trauma is there's always like a before and an after, right? There's like life before an event or after, like a car wreck, for instance. You know, there's your life before the car accident and your life after. Um, and it impacts people in many, many different ways. And part of the framework today is, you know, just about stress, but also trauma, right? And how the body responds. And um, one of the key factors to people not having long-term effects to trauma right, is, um, is how the community responds to them. So the research is really conclusive that when somebody experiences something that feels traumatic to them, if another person or community responds with, oh my gosh, that is such a hard experience and they validate your feelings and they say, how can we support you? How can we resource you? Um, when, when people are met with that, the instances of like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and things like that are actually much less, right? And there's other factors that go into why people get PTSD, but one of the big factors is community support and response. So this is why, again, you know, I'm just honored to be here, and I just think it's great that um, such a large company would be like, okay, we want to acknowledge everybody that, that this is happening, we're in this together, and give resources, um, because it's really important right now. Trauma is also a grief and loss process. So the way I'm, I'm framing the pandemic is also that we are in a chronic, complicated grief and loss process because, right, there's a before and there's an after. Our lives, you know, were abruptly changed, you know, um, very quickly. And there's no right or wrong way to grieve. You, you, you grieve the way you do. And I, most people, many people have heard um, about the stages of grief um, and those are denial, bargaining, anger, sadness, acceptance, and then they've added a new one, meaning-making. And I'm going to talk about those in more detail, but we tend to cycle through them. So it's not like a, you know, you start here and you, it's a linear process. You kind of surf waves. It goes all around, right? And so I noticed this with the, with the pandemic, you know, like the week before, I'm in Seattle, Washington, and the week before we went into our shelter-in-place, um, you know, people were like, oh, 
yeah, I don't think this is going to be that big of a deal. I, I think it's kind of fine, right? And it's like some, some denial happening. <laughs> and then there was the shelter in place and people were like, well, you know, maybe this is happening, but I think like, you know, maybe we can, we can still go out with our friends. Like maybe we'll just meet with a couple of friends. There's like some bargaining, like maybe I can like, you know, uh, somehow get around this. Um, and then we started to cycle more into like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. And, you know, lots of different responses, panic this is where we had the runs on toilet paper and all the things, you know, a lot of fear coming up um, and anger and sadness. I don't, there's moments of acceptance, I think, for some of us now, you know, we're in week five here, um, going into week six and, you know, I'm seeing some like kind of new normal, but, um, I find that there's moments where I'm like, Oh, you know, this is doable. And there's moments where I'm like, I hate this and moments where I'm really sad and it, and it just goes all over the place. And so, um, I just want to normalize that experience. Everybody is going to be fluctuating and, and we really have to learn how to kind of surf those waves. And today, hopefully I'll give some skills on how to do that. So it's definitely a, a grieving process. And the third in the talk will be, we'll be going more into meaning making, you know, we're not, we're kind of in the trauma right now. So it's, it's kind of a high expectation that we're going to be, you know, creating something out of it yet. Right. We're still, we're still at the beginning and it's, it's definitely a marathon. So, um, for many years, um, I, I always tell people I'm a self-proclaimed nerd and I love brain science. And so, um, I'm going to attempt to do a brief and easy intro into brain science for all ages. So this is for your kids too. I really wanted this, this, um, in the series to be accessible to everybody. So brain science is really complicated, right? We're learning more stuff all the time. Um, but I've kind of like narrowed it down into easy language that hopefully like you will remember and have access to. And, and again, it's for everybody. Um, and I am an art therapist. So, um, the drawings I, I did myself and they're modeled after my little Karen Terrier, Appa. So hopefully you'll enjoy the, the little puppy drawings. Um, so the brain is really, you know, um, there's three main parts to it, right? And I think in the last slide, there's, there's a computer, there's a puppy, and there's a snake. And the snake is, is called technically the cerebellum. And it's in the back of your brain, um, the back of your head. Um, and it includes the brainstem, the, spi the spinal column. Um, and it rules all of your autonomic functioning, okay? So your heart rate, your digestion, your breathing, your temperature, like you never, you know, if you eat lunch, you never sit down afterwards and go, okay, I need to focus on digesting this. Like it just happens. That's, this is the part of the brain that regulates everything in your body that you, you don't have to think about. Pretty handy. Um, the middle part, it's kind of more in the middle of the brain, the center is the limbic system. And um, I like to think of it as a puppy and it's, it's the hypothalamus and limbic system. And what it controls is your eight senses. Now, when I learned, because we traditionally learned that you have five senses, right? Sight, sound, taste, touch, smell. Um, but we actually have eight senses. And the other three are balance, which is obvious, interoception, which is your ability to feel inside of your body. So like if I have um, a stomach ache or a headache or something like that, it's my ability to feel that tension in my body, relaxation in my body, Interoception is the way that my brain processes that. Proprioception is like um, when I reach for my coffee mug or if I'm like playing soccer or something, my body and space, where it is in relation to other things. 
What's really interesting about this, um, Jenny and I were talking about this uh, when we were setting up the call, is that, you know, sometimes in my job, I look at myself as like a nervous system detective. And everybody's constellation on how their senses work and what they need are very different. So um, I like to think about it as little cups, medium cups, and very large cups, okay? So let me give you some examples. So for sound, I have a very little cup. It takes very little sound, and my nervous system goes, ugh, that's a lot, right? Um, For touch, I'm an artist, so I constantly am touching things. Like right now as I'm talking, I'm actually fidgeting with a little smooth rock, and we'll talk about why in a minute. But like I like to touch things. The more I touch things, the calmer I feel, right? Now, you know, other people, and maybe you live in a household with, with, well, you definitely live in a household with varying nervous systems. So like sometimes um, parents and kids will have similar uh, needs on their sensory, um, you know, regulation and sometimes very different. So like maybe a parent will be like a small cup for sound, right? And that they feel calmest when there's very little sound, but they have a kid that sits in their room and like just listens to loud music all day. And that's because they, have, they might have a big cup for sound and the way that they're actually calming down is through that noise. So if you've got family members, um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of kids with the stay at home and the parents are like, how are you doing your homework with all this noise? And it's like, well, I focus better with noise. So, you know, again, everybody has a different constellation in their senses. And part of what we can do is know our own constellation and needs and kind of recognize or talk about um, that in our family members. So, The other thing the puppy runs is your emotions, right? Like happy, mad, sad, and everything else. So all of your emotions filter through your limbic system. Um, It also is about relationships. So um, it's about empathy. It's about connection and bonding, right? Um, We have these really cool cells in this part of the brain called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons... Um, were first discovered when um, there was an experiment with like some um, monkeys that were eating peanuts and they had you know functional MRIs on them. They're testing it out and seeing like um, how the monkeys' brains were working when they grabbed this. And at a certain point, the researcher, um, you know, he or uh, uh, they, I'm not sure which, which gender, but they um, went on a break and they started eating peanuts. And, but the monkeys were still hooked up. And interestingly, the monkey's brain lit up like it was eating the peanuts when the researcher was. And they were like, well, that's interesting, right? So they started doing more research. And what they discovered is that we have these specialized cells in our brain, some of us more than others, where we have an internal experience of what we're witnessing externally. So we've all had this, like if you've been in a movie and there's a car chase and you flinch, right? You know, that's your mirror neurons firing. Or if you're with somebody and they start to to cry and, and you start to feel sad um, or you, they get mad and you start to feel mad. You know, part of that is your mirror neurons actually firing, um, which is really powerful. And we're going to talk about how to actually use this to our benefit um, rather than, you um, you know, uh, getting caught up in maybe other people's chaos, we can actually try to get them to mirror our calm. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit too. So it's an important aspect. The last part of the brain is like all the gray wrinkly stuff, right? All around the brain. And I like to think about it as a computer and it's the neocortex and prefrontal lobe. So it basically runs like all of your logic, your words, your ordering and sequencing, choice, 
um, and it runs, um, you know, uh, gratitude. You have gratitude up in that part of the brain. Actually, just remember, so it has explicit memory. And explicit memory is like, um, you know, I want to go back to the puppy. Implicit memory in the body is like if you eat a banana, the smell and taste of the banana, the puppy holds that. Okay. The computer holds the fact that it's called a banana and you bought it at Safeway and ate it at lunch. Right. You know, and so that's actually an important factor here that your body memory, your emotional memory is with the puppy and your explicit memory, like the story of it and what's going on is in your computer. So when you were calm, right, everything's good. The puppy's calm, the snake's relaxed and the computer is working. You've got clear thinking, you've got access to gratitude, choice, creative creativity, you know, things are really good. Okay. Now you have this little button in between the puppy and the snake and it's called the amygdala. And if anything happens that feels like a threat or change or you have pain, or you're doing something new, or you're in the unknown, you're preparing for something different, or you have triggers from your past experiences, this button gets pushed. So I wrote on this slide, like pandemics hit all of those, right? And so all of us right now are kind of in a constant state of this button either getting pushed very easily, or it's like just kind of half compressed or compressed, right? So everybody's under a certain amount of stress right now. Um, and so when this gets pushed, the snake rears up and hisses and it's like, red alert, we need to protect ourselves, right? And so your body is flooded with cortisol and adrenaline and norepinephrine and epinephrine. It's like, I call it like go juice, right? Your body's like, okay, we got to do something. Your heart rate increases and your breathing gets shallow and fast. Your digestion actually slows. Some people it speeds up and their stomachs get upset. Um, your temperature uh, changes and fluctuates. Some people get hot, some people get cold. Sometimes people start to shake, right? So that's your autonomic nervous system going, whoa, we are preparing for something. Then the puppy, the puppy either like freezes and doesn't know what to do and it just kind of like goes blank or it like passes out and plays dead or it wants to like run away and hide, right? Whine and whimper and run away or it barks and bites and growls and wants to fight, right? So Fighting is essentially like do something, running, fleeing is get away, freeze is I need to hide, and faint is like just check out. And the interesting thing about this is we all have our default mechanism, um, kind of like our go-to with this. And um, some people can fluctuate between, you know, you could be like in flight one minute and freeze the next and kind of vacillate between the two. Um and these can be negative, you know, challenging or um, positive depending on, you know, how you're regulating, right? So, like, um, you know, doing activism, for example, that's like a positive part of fight response. It's like, I don't like this and I'm going to do something about it. And that's in a positive way of fight response. Um, conversely, right, a, a challenging way would be like, I don't like this and I'm going to, like, yell at somebody about it. So, there's, there's many different behaviors that, that go with these. Um, so the computer, when the puppy is upset and you're going into this, the computer starts to shut down. Okay. And there's a wall that goes up between the puppy and the computer, right? And this is where it goes back to the memory piece. Cause we've all been like in an argument with somebody, like, especially those of us that are partnered or married, you know, you've been in, a, in an argument with your, your loved one. And then later, like you're talking about it and you're like, how did that even start? Like, you can't even remember how it started, you know? 
that's because a wall goes up in between the puppy and the computer and the two aren't talking anymore. So you might have a felt sense of the fight, but not access to the actual memory. Um, you no longer have clear access to your choice and logical thought at this point. Um, and a lot of us go into habitual thinking, right? Just kind of default circuitry. Um, language can be different, uh, difficult. Problem solving um, is impaired. Some people like literally just go blank, okay? Now, some computers um, will actually fixate, okay? So these are the people that, like, you know, I, I'm like this. If something happens, then I start to obsess on something, you know, and usually it's something to do with, a like, a challenge. Like, oh, my gosh, why did I say that? Or um, why did they say that? You know, and you can't get off of a certain loop um, in your brain because brains have a negativity bias. And what that means is we were wired from the get-go, like we were like cave people, right? Or when our brains were first like evolving, we had to remember where like the poisonous berries were or the big black bear or something. Like we had to remember that to survive, right? So our memories, like they will really remember those things. But we didn't have to remember so much like the day we were all like playing by the river with plentiful fish, right? You know, so our brains tend to focus on the challenge more than the positive. And when we are upset and in stress, our brains will do it more. So oftentimes when people start to fixate, it will be on some kind of challenge or, or negative experience. Um, and a lot of times when people go to blame, like, you know, um, you know, blaming somebody else for what happened or blaming ourselves, that's really trying to find a locus of control. Like they want to control the situation in, in some way. And oftentimes, you know, when, when the button gets pushed in our brains, like a global pandemic, it's because we're out of control. We don't know what's going on and it's happening. Um, it's something that we don't want that we can't stop, right? So another way to look at this, just to kind of frame it a little bit more, is that it's, it's hypoarousal and hyperarousal, okay? So the freeze and faint, right, the shutting down and the passing out to, to get through it, is hypoarousal. So that's when we have no motivation, we're shut down, we're disconnected. Those are the days when I'm like on the couch and like watching Netflix, just like hour after hour after hour. Um, you know how it just does that like next series and it just goes and you just go with it, right? Um, so hypoarousal is, is just when we're kind of shut down. Hyperarousal, right, is um, when people are getting overwhelmed, uh, a lot of times people are like doing, trying to, you know, do stuff. I got to do something. And sometimes that can be productive, but sometimes it's like spinning your wheels and you never quite get the results that you want. Hyperarousal can look like tantrums, right? It can look um, like constant irritability, that sort of thing. So in my drawings here, if you've ever, you know, had a, um, a puppy in the house, right? You know, it's like either they're sleeping all day and they're kind of depressed or they're like tearing up the couch, right? That's, that's the, the difference between the two. So as a therapist, you know, this is all like, okay, every single person on the planet has, has these functions in, in some way or another with stress response. But like, what do we do about it? That's always my question. So how do we help people when they are stressed? And the key is always the puppy, okay? The puppy is like the middle person in this brain triad, okay? And I want you to think about if you've ever been around a dog, right? Like what you would literally do with a dog if your dog was upset, okay? So some people want to, when people are stressed or upset, they want to go in computer to computer. They're like, 
let's discuss this. Let's problem solve it. Let's talk about it. And puppies don't talk. (laughs) They don't register words. And so oftentimes what that does is like putting like fuel on the fire, right? And so people get more overwhelmed because their brains are shutting down and you're asking them like to solve it or what's going on. They're like, I don't even have access to that information right now. And so then what do you do, right? It's literally like what you would do with a puppy, right? If you had a dog at home, right, you might give it a treat. You might distract it with a ball. You probably definitely, you you know, if you yell at a dog, what's going to happen? Like the dog's going to probably shake or get upset or something like that. But if you're like, oh, sweetie, like it's okay. Come around my lap, right? I'll pet you. So it's like tone and soothing. You might take them for a walk, right? Very simple things. So even though we have these complex brains and computers, we are really, when we're upset, not that different than, than our pups at home. So really, um, it's about like doing sensory-based activities um, in the moment that help connect the computer and the puppy to focus together on something that's soothing and neutral. And we're going to go into this a little bit more. Um, the puppy also, as far as words go, puppies do register like empathy, right? So there's a phrase Daniel Siegel coined of name it to tame it. So if you're upset and somebody comes up to you and they say, um, oh, I really see that you're, you're sad today or, or you're frustrated today, right? Don't you always just feel a little bit like, yeah, you know, there's like a little bit of a relaxation. You feel connected. You feel understood, right? And there's some regulation that happens because connection, actually healthy connection and empathy um, bonding actually calms our nervous systems, right? So when our puppies feel calm, right, then the computer starts to boot back up, right? And then we have access to logic and words and order and choice and all these things. So, you know, we'll talk about this much more next week. But, um, you know, when you are upset at home, right, or, or at work, if, if we can connect with the puppy first and get calm, then when everybody's calm and connected, then we can talk about it and problem solve. Because, of course, we want to problem solve stress, right? We want to figure out what to do. But it's really hard to do in the moment. So hopefully you're, you're starting to see that um, how a pandemic and being in this situation, I, I think of it as like a volume control. So we, we all have stressors on the daily in some way or another. We all have um, certain triggers, that sort of thing. Um, the pandemic just turns up the volume on everything because there's kind of a baseline of not feeling safe right now. And for our brains to function properly with the snake puppy and computer all chilling out and, and feeling good, we need safety, emotional, mental, and physical safety. So that's the challenge in this pandemic because there's so many unknowns. Brains love planning and structure for safety, right? And right now, a lot of that is shaken up. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, tangible tangible skills in this, okay? So oxygen mask on you first, always, okay? We've all probably been on an airplane at some point, um, or if you haven't, you've seen it in a movie of... Um, you know, if, if things happen, you have to put the oxygen mask on you first before you start to attending to the people around you. And that's so you don't pass out because if you pass out, you can't help people. So self-care is really critical right now. And um, knowing that, you know, you have to take care of yourself so you can take care of your family, so you can take care of your job. I always say that 
you know, in, in the foundation of life and creating safety, you put the oxygen mask on you first, then your marriage, then your kids, then your family and friends, and then your work. And it's interesting, you know, uh, hopefully as I'm talking, you're all relating to this information in different ways, right? And every time I teach this, I even relate to it in different ways. One thing to ask is like, how's your oxygen mask right now? Because, you know, oftentimes, especially I, I work with a lot of moms and moms are under so much pressure right now, especially if you have littles that are homeschooling and you're trying to work and all this stuff where the oxygen mask will go to like the kids and work <laughs> before it comes to you and or your, your marriage. Oftentimes marriages get put, you know, towards the bottom. Um, so really looking at that and saying, hmm, you know, where, where are my priorities on care right now is important. So with that care, Shirley, I'm so glad that, you know, she, she talked about this in the intro, um, you know, the foundation, sleep, food, water, movement, okay? Everybody I have talked to, I have a very large caseload, um, I, I talk to a lot of people through this, everybody's got something off or fluctuating within the just basic, you know, keeping my body going, right? Sleep disruption, forgetting the other day, I, I told Shirley, like I got dizzy around 4 p.m. and I was just working, working, working. And, and I was like, why do I feel so bad? And I was like, oh, I forgot to eat today, right? And I'm normally the kind of person that snacks all day. So it's kind of a, a weird thing. But again, we're out of our routines. And so it's easy to get off on the, on the basics. So putting focus there is really important. And one thing is like water. Our brains are about 80% water. And so you need a lot to keep these things going and particularly under stress. So um, if you do nothing else from this talk, right, like water, drink, just drink more water. That will actually help your stress levels quite a bit um, to, to hydrate. So I'm going to do a little activity while we're all sitting here, um, you know, uh, going through this, um, this presentation. And it's called grounding, and it's about finding a felt sense of safety. So it, it kind of helps um, tie in what I was talking about with the puppy and the computer coming together and focusing on something soothing and or neutral in the moment. So wherever you're at right now, I want you just to do this with me. I'm going to do it. And I want you to look around where you're at and just find three to five things, and I want you just to name them silently in your mind right? Just visually, what are you seeing around you? So, I mean, literally like yellow curtains, blue sky, like that kind of very simple naming. And then I want you to notice like three to five things that you hear, right? Um, you're obviously hearing my voice is one of them. Um, this morning, I noticed that there were birds chirping. So... Whatever you're hearing, just name it. And then, you know, smell and taste. It depends, you know, like I've, I've uh, been sipping coffee, so I can taste coffee in my mouth right now. You know, like, um, you know, think about things that you smell or taste, right, right now in this moment. And then touch something near you. It could be, it could be the clothes you're wearing, right? So just feel the fabric. It could be, um, this is why I have my rock in my hand. It's a very, very, very smooth rock that I found at the beach. So whatever you're touching, I want you to feel the texture. And I want you to feel not only the texture of what you're touching, but I want you to feel your, your fingers touching it. Like notice both sensations of your fingers touching it and it touching you. 
Okay. And the last thing I want you to do is wherever you're sitting or standing or lying down, okay, I want you to feel your body where it's making contact with the chair or the floor or whatever, and just notice your body making contact with that and the weight of it. Notice, get a little heavier even. Just notice yourself sitting and notice the pressure of, of the chair holding you up, right? So what we're doing right now is we're just getting the puppy and the computer to hook up in the moment. And most of the time when we do this, um, it's pretty boring <laughs> or normal or average. It's just a moment, right? And what it's doing is it's telling your brain that in this very moment, you're safe. You're okay. Nothing's happening right now. Like fundamentally right now, you are on a Zoom call um, listening to a presentation and most of you are in your homes and you're safe in your home, right? So the grounding is actually one of the, besides hydration, right? And your basic stuff is one of the most important things we can do right now. It's so simple on one level, but it's easy to forget to do. And the more you practice it, the more access you have to that space of safety and calm. So it's, it's a really foundational skill that you can use at, at any moment. And I do it all day long. I even do it while I'm talking to people, right? I'll, I'll kind of like be looking outside and talking to people. And that helps me stay calm and my computer function better, right? So the next thing we're going to do together is breathing. So, you know, everybody, like when they're upset, you're like, take a deep breath. But Why? Like, why is breathing helpful? So when you breathe, there's this giant nerve that runs from your cerebellum all the way down um, through your spinal cord called the vagal nerve. And it's your biggest one in the body. It goes all over your body. And vagal tone is a huge part of, um, of health because it activates the part of our nervous system that calms us down, okay? And you also get a lot of endorphins off of breathing, actually. If you do five or more deep breaths, you start to release opiates in your brain that calm you down. So it's literally like taking a chill pill. So that's why deep breathing. And here's, here's the fun thing. And it, and it also helps your heart rate. It helps your heart rate come down. And variable heart rate is a huge part of mental health, right? Physical mental health. So there's two breathing techniques you can do. I'm going to explain one and we're going to do the other together. So the first one is called box breathing. And this is like, Brene Brown talks about this. This is like what they, they teach like, you know, snipers and big people in the military of like how to keep calm when they're in really intense like situations and stuff. And basically what you do is you breathe into a certain count. Like I like a count of three to four. You breathe in three to four. You count that. You hold for three to four. You breathe out to three to four and you hold to three to four. And that's why it's a box. So in hold, out, hold. And that's a box breathing. And you can practice that. And like I said, five or more, you'll start to release endorphins. But we're going to do five breaths together right now. And what we're going to do is just kind of breathe normally. You can, If you feel like breathing a little deeper, you can. But we're just going to increase our exhale. We're going to inhale through our nose. We're going to exhale through our mouths. And we're going to increase the exhale. So breathe in through your nose. And then when you breathe out, just make sure your exhale is longer. You can count two if that's helpful. I'm going to count into three and I'm going to count out to five.
So just notice, notice how your body's feeling. Just notice what that does, right? Here's the thing. Breathing is not going to fix everything. Grounding is not going to fix everything. But what it is going to do is it's going to adjust the volume. It's going to kick the volume down a little bit, right? And that's what I'm always looking for throughout the day is like, how am I adjusting my volume throughout the day? Because if I don't do these things by the end of the day, you know, it's like your shoulders get all tense and, and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I just, I have a headache. I'm exhausted. Right. But if you're doing these little things throughout the day, it's like turning on the volume a little, turning on the volume a little bit and you can ritualize them. Like put a timer on your phone. Oh, I'm going to do five deep breaths. Right. Um, have a ritual. Like every time you go to the bathroom, you're going to do five deep breaths, right. Things that you normally would do. Right include these exercises into it and just, just experiment and see what happens. You know, don't just even take my word for it or science, science's word for it. Cause these are all very empirically based um, tactics. Try it out. See what happens for you. Um, with that said, I think I was talking to um, Jenny and Pauline, you know, some, and surely some, some people, um, some people this works for great and some people it doesn't. So none of this is, you know, you, you want to experiment and see what works for you. Right. But most people breathing works with pretty well. So the other thing we can do, I'm just checking time, making sure, okay, sweet. Um, so empathy and compassion. Um, like we were talking about the puppy, name it to tame it. Okay, this includes yourself. So been washing my hands a lot. <laughs> a lot of us have, right? So every time I go to wash my hands, I look in the mirror and I give myself eye contact and I just name how I'm feeling. That's it. I'll be like, oh, I'm tired or oh, I'm stressed or, oh, I'm scared, whatever it is, right? I just wash my hands, I look in the mirror and I name how I'm feeling because I know that when I'm doing that, again, my computer and puppy are hooking up and my puppy goes, that's right, Jen, I'm tired, right? And then my brain starts to calm down again. So that's an easy way, again, to adjust that volume. Um, please know there is no right or wrong way to feel in a pandemic <laughs> and you're gonna feel a lot of different things throughout the day. Um, so, so acknowledging that for yourself, acknowledging that for the people that you're around, right? When my partner comes up to me at the end of the day and puts his hand on my shoulder and says, wow, you look really tired. I feel seen. I feel relaxed. I'm like, yes, I am so tired. Right. And then maybe I say, I need a hug. Right. Or, you know, I need some space right now. Just need to be quiet for a little bit. Right. And then I, I communicate with my loved ones to resource for, for what I need for my puppy. Right. Cause some puppies want a hugging to connect and some puppies are like, I need to be left alone and just sit in my room for a little while and, and be quiet. Everybody's got different needs for their puppies. So it's also, you know, empathy and compassion. Compassion just isn't about like, okay, whatever you're doing, it's fine. So let me give you an example. Last weekend, um, I baked cookies. I hadn't done that in a long time and I love cookies. And then I proceeded to eat all the cookies and I felt really sick afterwards. And I, I've been hearing a lot of baking going on, right? It's such a comfort thing right now. And that's lovely, right? I think, I think we should have some comfort right now. But a more compassionate thing for me to do in that moment might have been, hey, Jen, stop at like three to five cookies instead of like eight. <laughs> you know, like, and that maybe would have saved me some stress later when I was like, I really feel horrible. So compassion is also about some boundaries, right? So there is a certain amount of indulgence that we want to do right now for comfort. And that's totally fine, right? But also watch it a little bit because if you are eating like eight cookies a day, it's probably going to make you feel worse. <laughs> so I can attest to that. Um, another thing we can do is just have realistic expectations. So mine have been, look, 
I know the brain science. There's absolutely no way, like even before this talk, I was feeling a little nervous. And I was like, Jen, there's no way you're at peak performance during a pandemic. You know, so if you have a little trouble focusing or you make some mistakes, that's okay, right? Because you're just going to do your best and that will be enough. That's all you can really do. And use your skills. Therefore, my lovely rock that I've been fidgeting with the whole time because that I know that helps my puppy relax while I'm talking, right? So I'm resourcing for myself while I'm doing it. So give yourself permission, right, to not be at 100% right now because nobody is. Believe me, nobody's at 100% right now. Um, everybody's stressed. Um, please ask for help. You know, some people, even me as a therapist, will be like, well, I didn't want to call you because I didn't want to add to your stress load. And I'm like, well, actually, like it, it right now it helps in a way because I'm in it with everybody too. And altruism feels good. And you can always have a boundary. You know, I, you can always say, you know, not today, but maybe tomorrow, but ask for help from people, from professionals, from your family. Um, we're in this together. And that's, again, what I really admire about Buckland allowing me to do this presentation is because we really, this is a collective experience. So be gentle with yourselves and rely on one another. So with that, I want to talk just a little bit here at the end about comparative suffering and coping. So social media, you know, like, thank goodness we have the internet and ways to connect and social media, Zoom, all these things. It's great. But it's also having some things where, you know, people are comparing a lot and some people are like, oh, you know, my stress isn't valid because like I'm still employed and people are unemployed and that's harder. And that is an important privilege to name for sure. That's an important privilege to name. If, if you have resources or privileges that other people do, that's, that's a very loving, healthy thing to name. It also doesn't mean that your stress in this is not valid. So it's, it's a both and. In grief and loss and trauma, it's never a black and white thinking thing. Black and white thinking is kind of like a stress thinking. Uh, it's a both and. So yes, you know, I, I'm still working and I have, you know, food and power and shelter and all these things. Um, and that's a privilege and I'm deeply grateful for it. And I'm also stressed and that's valid. So you get to have that too. Um, and another piece is comparative coping because, you know, some people are on hyper arousal and, you know, they're, uh, we, we were joking about my presentation, you know, I was like, you know, getting this ready and stuff. And I was like functioning, you know, and, and, uh, that's just cause I was in hyper arousal, you know, I was like, yeah, I can do something. I'm doing something right now. Um, and then some people are like, I can't even have access to my computer to put together a presentation to save my life right now. That's valid too. Both are valid. Personally, I swing between the two, like I'll hyper arouse and do a presentation. And the next day, which I did yesterday, I watch Netflix most of the day, <laughs> you know, so it's like back and forth. So you, you get to have permission to cope how you cope in the moment. There's no right or wrong way to do that. Just focus on your own feelings and your needs and resource for them and ask your loved ones if you have capacity what theirs are. And we'll talk about that more next week on how to support each other in more tangible ways. But, but this, this presentation, I really would invite you to focus on your own puppy, what your puppy needs, right? The handout uh, that, I, that I gave um, uh, has suggestions on that. Um, we talked uh, a little bit about how humans need structure and routine. Uh, Shirley, you talked about that in the intro. 
we can't plan ahead. We don't know exactly, you know, how long this is going to last. We don't even know enough about the virus yet to, to make big plans. So it's a day by day thing. Um, we need some routine and schedule, but don't over schedule, you know, and give yourself permission to be flexible in it. Um, you know, have, do have some boundaries around your basic stuff like sleep, food, water, movement, if you can. Um, but you know, you don't have to like exercise every day. You could also just say like, um, I stretched, you know, like once <laughs> just like realistic, small expectations, because here's the thing. We don't want self-care to become another to-do list that stresses us out. So even from this talk, pick something that's doable, something small, right? Um, Jenny and I were talking about, um, you know, it's kind of like at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody's like, I've, I've got a color coordinated chart of a schedule. And it's kind of like at New Year's when everybody hits the gym, you know, and everybody's like, woo. And then by like February, nobody's there. <laughs> so oftentimes to create habits, if you go gusto, I mean, that's great. A lot of people do it. It usually doesn't last. So just create structures that are realistic, that you can, you can actually do. And then as you kind of get that in and add something else, um, celebrate the wins. You know, anytime I take a shower, I'm like, yes, good hygiene. And that sounds silly on one level, but in stress, we need to celebrate the wins. We have to, um, you know, take the joy, take the good where we can right now. That's going to help our, help us help ourselves out. Um, and don't judge yourself for eating too many cookies. You know, I learned not to do that, but I didn't judge myself because I had compassion for, for doing it. Um, so again, hopefully this talk gave you an overview and some normalization of stress response and maybe what you're experiencing in this trauma and loss process. Um, in the handout, there's a lot of website re resources and references. Um, I did on my website as well. I didn't put this on the handout, but I have a couple articles that mirror some of what I just talked about too, if you need a little bit more language around that. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, pre-existing conditions, physical, mental, um, and relationships, how to, some relationship skills, communication skills to navigate at home, and um, just hopefully give some extra resources after learning some of the, the basics here. So um, this is where I'm going to open it up to some questions. So I think, Jenny, you're going to handle some of the questions uh, coming in. Yeah, thanks so much, Jennifer, for that presentation. That was really great. And I think it definitely touched on a lot of things that are um, on our minds. Uh, for those who might have questions, depending on what you're more comfortable with, you're certainly welcome to unmute. Uh, if you're more comfortable typing your question, you are certainly welcome to do that. You can use the chat feature here on Zoom to put your question in. Um, I did have a couple people reach out. Um, a lot of people I've just been chatting with over the last uh, several weeks here. And I mean, this has certainly been top of mind for all of us. And um, just to get us started, I thought I would mention um, some of the questions that I have heard come up, and I see uh, Pauline has written something in the chat feature there, so hopefully that comes up for everybody and you can type your questions there. Um, but something I've heard a lot of people talking about is kind of the, um, the struggle with uh, those of us with little kids at home and trying to kind of keep all the plates spinning, so to speak. Um, you know, that that's a, that that's a challenge. So are you able, you, you did touch on it a bit, but are you able to uh, mm -hmm. speak about yeah. that? Yeah, we're definitely, and, and next week we'll go into more depth with that. Um, but one thing I want to talk about right now that you can do, right, is 
the reason, one of the reasons that I have the puppy snake computer as language is um, because like all ages can, can relate to it. Right. So you can have a conversation now with your family and discuss like, you know, what calms you down. Right. And you probably even can notice some things that your kids already do for, for calming, but putting language to it and some intention and, and a little bit of like a nervous system plan. Like, you know, for instance, um, my friend that, you know, she, she has, she needs, has a need for quiet and her kid has a need for noise to calm. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to navigate that. So they've named it with each other. Like, Oh, I get it. Okay. We calm down differently. Right. So they have fortunately a big enough space that, um, you know, they go into a different room, her child does. Right. So they, they have in different places or you can do headphones. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. there's ways to, to negotiate that, but like understanding one another's nervous system template, you know, becoming nervous system detectives with each other and saying, Hmm, okay what calms your puppy down and naming it. So the funny thing about the brain is when we name something again, and the computer and the puppy link up, like, Oh, I need quiet to regulate. Mm -hmm. Then when you do it, you actually get more benefit from it. So that's one thing you can do right now is just have a little family meeting and say like, Hey, I learned about the brain and like, there's this puppy in there and it's about calming down so we can think clearly with our computers and like, what calms you down? Yeah. Right. And, and if they, if they can't come up with it, then you, you help them come up with it. Like I noticed you like to play with Legos, right? It seems like, you know, moving your hands and doing something really helps you calm down. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause everybody, if you think about it, and this is in the handout, everybody's doing things for their puppy already. And part of my job is to help you make it explicit and then add on to it. Right. So I, I draw all the time. That's just something I do for calm. So I'm drawing more because I know it helps me. Right. So that's the same with your, with your children having kind of that game plan. And then next week we'll talk a little bit more about like structure and that sort of thing, but go easy. You know, I think this thing of like um, being productive in a pandemic is also traumatic to tell people it's, it's always, it pushes that button more when somebody's like trying to cope and they're struggling. And especially if they're in a hypo arousal to say, get on board and do some stuff like that creates even more stress. And what you're going to find is they'll dig in more and, and become more hypo aroused. Right. Mm -hmm. Than if you're like, let's sit down and talk about, you know, wow, I feel overwhelmed and I feel stressed and I, gosh, mom, I have no motivation right now. I don't want to do anything. Right. And, and giving the empathy, and then working towards skills. Usually with hypoarousal, you want to have a little bit more movement. And with hyperarousal, you want to do more calming things. So it's just different nervous system needs, right? So your kids that are spinning out and like are irritable and arguing and doing that stuff, you want to work on stuff to calm them down. And the kids that are unable to motivate and move, you want to get them to try to move a little bit. So maybe like go for a walk with them if they can or something like that. That's a really good suggestion. Um, Another one of the questions I just had come in as well um, is more of a a kind of a housekeeping question about this presentation, um, but asking about the the handout that we're referencing. Um, And I just wanted to let everybody know that following this presentation, uh, we are recording this today. So I will be taking this file and uploading it as a private YouTube link. And you will be receiving an email um, that I'll be sending out that will have the recording of this presentation. There will be um, the handout that we're talking about that gives you these coping skills. 
and as well as a, a copy of the slides from this presentation. So it'll have those three resources for you. So do watch for that. Sometimes it does take a little, a little bit to, for the video to upload, um, but you should be getting that um, shortly following the presentation. So that was another question I had a couple of as well for those who potentially had to drop off early or ha uh, weren't mm -hmm. able to join or you know, frankly, to share it with someone else. Maybe maybe you're watching this and this is meaningful for you and you want to share it with a family member um, or a friend, you're certainly welcome to do that. But uh, certainly if there's any other questions, feel free to unmute yourself or use the chat. Um, and I'll just watch that here. Ah, yes. Insanely and awesome. and I think we discussed um, too that like, you know, a lot of times with these presentations, I know I, again, I know that like it's a lot of information and our computers are a little bit like, whoa. So don't feel like you have to take in all this information. You can always go back to it later, mm -hmm. right? Just little steps at a time. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, I'm one of those people where I'll think about something and then have a question like the next day or a couple days later, right? And so I think, Jenny, we talked about, you know, questions can keep rolling in and that um, either in the fourth presentation, we can cover mm -hmm. some of those or um, that I could also address some of those via email or something like that. So mm -hmm. um, if you if you have questions later, that's okay too. I did have, and this is how it always goes on our company webinars as well. As soon as we kind of think, oh, okay, we're not seeing any questions. The second you sense that, then that's when they start coming in and and that's certainly happening. Um, I do have another question. Uh, what about those who are living alone? A lot of people find themselves in this position right now where they live alone. Do you have any tips about caring for yourself when you don't have a, um, a support system who is physically available to you? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And, and again, you know, next week we're going to go in a little bit more about the details about that. But for, for right now, you know, I think we're all having to get very creative um, with how we're connecting, right? Like even doing this, like we're, we're connecting through technology. And so um, if you have ways to connect with people through, um, you know, technology, um, that's important right now, right? And to, and to create some ritual around it, right? Whatever platforms those are, or even if it's just like old school phone call, right? You know, um, making sure to ask people to check in. So I have, I have a really good friend who, who lives alone and, and she's also a therapist and she's been advocating for this. And what she said is, please, if you know somebody who's living alone right now, reach out to them. Mm -hmm. Reach out to them and say, hey, how are you doing? And reach out to them and say, hey, how are you doing? Can I check on you regularly? Because yeah. if, again, if you have access to do that yourself, because we all want to have a lot of, you know, grace around this. But if you, if you know people that are living alone, I think it's really good to extend an invitation to them to connect. And because, you know, on one level, I'd like to say, and it's true, if you live alone, reach out to people, but sometimes that's really hard. It's hard to ask for help sometimes. Mm -hmm. So um, if you can ask for help, ask for help, right? This is, again, this is the time. There's no shame in asking for help. And again, what I'll say is people want to do something, you know, again, the puppy, right? It's like, I want to do something. And a lot of people, when they feel like they're helping, feel better. So when we ask for help, you're actually giving somebody else a gift of feeling better, right? And then you can trust their boundaries. If they don't have enough energy to do that, 
you know, then, then you can trust that they're like, Oh, you know, I love you so much, but I, I don't have the bandwidth to do that right now. Um, and then you ask somebody else, right. Yeah. You know, um, and there are for folks that are like, I don't even know, you know, I'm, I don't have a community like that. There's all kinds of spaces online, um, groups and that sort of thing that I'm actually going to include in the handout next week um, for, for community resources of like places to go just to connect with people. Facebook's got all kinds of groups for that right now. So resource. Yeah. Great. Um, we have another question here and is, what are some ways to check in with our puppy? Like to identify how we are reacting in the moment. That's a great question. I fully resonate with this one. Super great question, right? Okay, so um, on one level, right, like uh, there's tension and relaxation in the body. And so some, some of us have more language and skills for this than others, right? And so like right now, everybody can just check in with their body and see where are you feeling tension, right? Like mine are, mine's like always the shoulders, right? Like mm-hmm. exactly. So that right there is checking in with your puppy. So you can stretch, stretch a little bit, move a little bit. I'm like, oh, maybe I need some ibuprofen after this, you know, like resource, right? So that's one way to check in with the, with the puppy. Um, Another way um, is, you know, like just to, if you have language, right, you know, to check in, like maybe your chest is tight and you're like, oh, I feel a little anxious, right? Next week, I'm going to go into that a little bit more. I'm actually going to, in the resources, uh, give language for feelings and needs, right? Um, And I'll just say it right now, um, the the website, Nonviolent Communication, they have really great links for language on needs and feelings, Right. And so, um, but you know, even if you just have the basics, like happy, mad, sad, scared, right. You know, even if you can just identify one of those, so checking in with the puppy and tired and hungry, right. Those are like basic ones. So just checking in and, and trying to find a word to go with that is helpful. Um, but again, on one level, it's just like, it's very, very, very basic, right. You know, like, uh, I have a dry mouth right now. So I'm like, right after this, I'm going to drink some water. You know, like that's checking in with the puppy and resourcing for the puppy. It's very simple. It's not rocket science and there's no right or wrong way to do it, right? Because mm-hmm. some people with those cups, some people don't have very big interoception cups, right? They, when, they, when they check in, it's hard for them to feel inside their bodies and identify and that's okay. Everybody's got a, a different level of awareness in that. The more that you, you know, build that muscle of checking in, the easier it will get. So start where you're at. Be gentle, and even if it's just the basics, like of sappy, happy, sad, mad, scared, hungry, tired, mm-hmm. thirsty, start there. Yeah. That's the Beyond Borders podcast for today. If you have any questions, please reach out to me at marketing at buckland.com or check the show notes for more resources. If you're looking for more resources that are related to international trade, check out buckland.com and click on the learning section across the top of the website. Here you'll find a range of resources available, including downloadable learning guides, uh, on-demand webinars, and podcasts. Our downloadable learning guides include IncoTerms charts, common trade terminology, how to avoid border delays, and many more. We also have on-demand webinars that are available for you to download, and we welcome you to check those out today. 
The best way to keep up to date on all of these resources is through our weekly newsletter. We send out a newsletter every single Wednesday containing all of this latest information, as well as a roundup of the latest trade news delivered right to your inbox. If you have questions, please feel free to reach out to us through our website's contact us page. And don't forget to check us out through Twitter, where our handle is at Buckland Tweets, or on our LinkedIn company page, or on our Instagram at Buckland Insta. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Borders podcast, and be sure to tune in again and subscribe for more great conversations about importing, exporting, and everything else in the world of logistics and international trade.